Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Shashank Pharma. He's the owner in principle at WorkFrame Consulting. It's an innovation consultancy for established companies and also for startups. Okay, so Shashank, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so we met online through the Trends Group, which, which I love because there's lots of new ideas and entrepreneurship happening on that. And yeah. what really struck me with your background was you've set up an accelerator for, for a large uh, organization, Kohler. But um, with the innovation stuff or your background, where did you start out? Yeah, so my background is mechanical engineering. I grew up in New York City, did all my schooling in New York, went to NYU. After graduating, I worked at a company in New York for about a year and a half. And then yep. Kohler kind of called and I wasn't really looking to move to the Midwest, but mm-hmm. ended up doing just because of the people that I met there. They just seemed so different than what I was used to in New York. Very nice, very laid back, very different vibe and energy compared to what I was used to in New York. So I thought I had to experience that. and. So, you know, my, my background is very much product development. It's developing products and really working on the engineering of those products. Mm-hmm. And the accelerator was really born out of probably two things looking back. Initially, the thought at the time was I just wanted to get together with someone from ID, industrial design, and someone from marketing and kick around ideas because I'd see people around me just working on prototypes and it was really cool and I wanted to do that, but I often felt that ideas were being developed in silos and not enough cross-functional conversations were happening. And so I thought, what if we attacked ideas from kind of the ground up with that cross-functional lens? So that's really was the intent. But the other part of it was I was working on a startup at the time and I had a really hard time. We were kind of struggling and I had a really hard time making decisions with co-founders and I really didn't understand why. It was basically just opinion versus opinion. There's, you know, we were kind of trying to understand what was the best thing to do. We were struggling with kind of some technical aspects of the product. And we just didn't, couldn't kind of get out of that headbutting phase. Mm. And so I wanted to get better at making decisions and being able to communicate decisions. So I thought this was kind of a subconsciously, I think I thought that this was a way for me to practice how to lead startups and, you know, work with other functions and not make it all about me and me being right. Because I, I realized that I, my ego was kind of getting in the way. And so, you know, it was just kind of uh, those types of things I was trying to work on. And th- that's kind of where it started initially. Yeah, for sure. Now for your, what you mentioned, it was interesting. So this wasn't a officially sanctioned thing at Kohler. You kind of just kind of did all 3M style and, yeah. and sort of got it going. Right, right. Yeah, no, initially, I mean, we were very purposeful in our attempts to keep it hidden from our our bosses because we didn't know if we were allowed to do something like this or not. And as I started to do this, I kind of noticed a need for people wanting to have an outlet for ideas. And there were systems in place at the company, but maybe they weren't being 
as well utilized as they could have been. Mm -hmm. It wasn't always obvious where to go with a new idea. You kind of needed to know how to sell an idea and, you know, things like that. And I thought there was a way for the company to maybe pull ideas as opposed to have people push them. So just started to talk to a lot of different people. And I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. So that was kind of another exercise for me to just learn to talk to other people and try to connect and see if I convinced them to follow me on a vision. And, you know, met a lot of really amazing people. And the culture at Kohler is so great when it comes to collaboration. Everybody wants to work with others. And the people there are really, really awesome. Almost surprisingly so in many different ways. I mean, they're obviously technically gifted. They're very, their skill sets are great, but also the, the people side of it. I felt like I, I've learned so much. Because again, you know, going back to that New York comment, there's not that you don't have nice people there, but generally the energy is like, let's get stuff done and we'll chat later. But in the Midwest, it's more like, all right, well, let's connect first and then let's get some work done. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. So was there kind of a corporate venture capital arm or was there nothing there? I mean, accelerators are a little bit more early phase. So you're kind of incubating ideas. Right. Was there kind of a corporate venture capital arm at Kohler? Yeah, there is. There is an M&A division that does a lot of that. So based on what I do now at Kohler, in addition to the innovation accelerator piece is I lead product development for kind of a startup within the company. And part of that includes talking to startups and kind of vetting technologies and things like that. And so definitely that's almost separate from the innovation accelerator. The innovation accelerator, their focus is very internal. It's more entrepreneurship as opposed to entrepreneurship. And so the idea with that is to accelerate innovations that may happen or may not happen within the company. With the M&A part, it's more external focus where they're mm. looking at other companies to buy, partner with, and stuff like that. Yeah. No, no, no. That's, that's really interesting. Now, at what point did you know you were on the right track? You started along this path and you were just kind of doing it. And then at what point did you know that, aha, this is just no longer just something that I'm just doing to optimize something, this could kind of turn into something? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I don't think it was kind of a point <laughs> in time like that, you know, because it's always stuff that just builds up over time. I was just motivated to kind of keep at it because, you know, when you're starting something new, it's very difficult because you just left and right, you just get no's all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, or, or you get, people are very nice. They want to help. So you get yeses, but without really follow-up or follow-throughs. And so, so I spent the first nine months of this effort writing a proposal for kind of like how this would go and kind of take a bunch of people with me on this yeah. journey. We had about 10 people. We would meet every Friday kind of after work for a couple hours and we'd you know, design this proposal. I made some mentors at other companies that were kind of helping us craft this proposal. After the nine month period is when I started to realize, you know, that we either kind of wait for permission or we just do it, you know? And so we kind of pivoted into, instead of asking for permission, all right, let's just do it. If they tell us to stop, we'll stop. And, you know, after that, we kind of worked for maybe two years, again, more kind of underground Bosses didn't really know. They, they kind of knew, but they were kind of turning a blind eye. It's like, all right, they're interested in doing this. Let them do it. And then they saw us making these like weird looking things. They saw 3D prototypes of stuff. And I got called into an office of one of the executives. And you know, I thought I was in trouble. We were going to get asked to stop. But they were really interested in, in learning about the process. What were we doing that was working? Because we were only meeting for a couple hours a week. And we were being very productive. So they were interested more in the process as opposed to the ideas. 
which initially kind of hurt. I was like, hey, man, this is some really good stuff. You should look at it. But they were obviously more interested in how we're being so productive and efficient with our time. And so then, then it became more official. Then they started to kind of approach it with a, with a lens of, how about you design a process for the company? How do we help accelerate problem solving for the company? And then that kind of shifted that in my head as opposed, instead of just focusing on the ideas, like how do we enable the creation of good ideas no matter what? And so I kind of went, you know, after that, obviously it was sanctioned and everything was good, but it was like almost three years of kind of just plugging along and doing stuff that we were interested in and kind of learning from one another. And after that, obviously, it's good. Being an innovative person inside a company, I'm always sort of aware as, as our company gets small and gets bigger, that innovation is going to get tougher. So from your perspective, you know, I mean, obviously you had in you and, and you pushed to make it successful. And it seems like you had a good culture. What can the company do proactively? to sort of allow that to happen. I know different companies have different rules where you can spend a few hours a week and you can invest this and, yes. and that. But I mean, what being from the other side, not looking from top management down, but being sort of on the ground, close to the action, what could the company have done to, to help that process along? That's a really good question. I think it's going to vary a lot company to company because companies, what I've learned through my research is they are very different culturally, but tactically, they're almost the same. The way product moves in a company, whether it's digital or physical, they kind of move the same way, but culture is what kind of is the differentiator. And so I think if the goal is innovation and the goal is to be more innovative, in an odd kind of way, you don't focus on the innovation part. You focus on the culture and you focus on creating systems that makes people that make people feel comfortable sharing their ideas and help mm -hmm. them vet their own ideas. It's not just about kind of like, you know, like let's do a one day event and everybody gets to present an idea that goes like Adobe does, does a great job with that. They have a kickbox program that where they give everyone that goes through a seminar, they give them like a $500 credit card that they could spend towards their idea. I, I forget the exact number of the, of the dollars, but they give some level of support, financial support, but they also provide some training on development of ideas. You know, if, if you go back to school, if you, if you kind of talk about designers and engineers, we learn a lot about coming up with unique ideas, but we don't necessarily learn about developing those ideas into marketable or saleable things. And I think that's a huge gap in almost every company. To take an idea, and that's true for startups too. I do startup consulting on the side, and that's one of the most fundamental things is how do you connect your idea to the market? And sometimes it's kind of looking at it the wrong way. If you understand the market well, the ideas kind of, you know, come. But if you focus on the ideas and see, well, will they take that? Will they take this? That's less likely to be successful. Mm. So I think what companies could do is focus on what enables people to work together to really try to enable cross-pollination as much as possible. And learn about markets, learn about people that the users and, you know, get more empathy towards the people who are actually using those types of products. Wonderful. I, I hear the phrase, like trying to understand the customers or the, the prospects needs better than they understand their own needs. Now, right. basically getting sort of key insight. Now, I mean, that's easy to say, and there's the execution of that. How does someone go about executing on that? 
That's a, also a good question because it's in my in my again in my research, it's an understated and kind of almost misunderstood piece, especially uh, sometimes from the top down. It's like, oh, just go and do it, but it's very difficult to do. And one of the I think the key distinctions and one of my key learnings over the last five six years has been the understanding and the differences between data driven and hypothesis driven. So data driven sounds really good, right? <laughs> it sounds like, oh, of course I want to be data driven. I'm looking at numbers. It's not about me. It's about the numbers. So let's do what the numbers tell us. But it's very misleading and it's often wrong. Science is hypothesis driven. And that's one of the wonderful things about the scientific method. So as I was doing this innovation accelerator stuff, I was kind of experimenting a lot with different kinds of problem solving strategies and methodologies and things like that. And things like the design sprint method from that came out of Google, which I absolutely love, design thinking, jobs to be done, you know, all these different principles and theories and, and kind of frameworks that have come out, but they each kind of do very specific things and people apply them in very unique ways. But what I also noticed was most companies kind of take one method and kind of stick with it. And that to me is akin to having a hammer and hoping all your problems are nails. That's really not going to work for all the different types of problems that you have. So sometimes if you're making a category creating product, something that doesn't exist before, like Henry Ford deciding to make a car instead of a faster horse, right? If he does customer research, you know, this is like a famous, I think, saying, if he, if he asked his customers what they wanted, they would have told them they wanted a faster horse. So the idea being, you, when you understand what you're trying to do, which is maybe invent something that doesn't exist before, you take an approach that's different than your normal problem-solving approach. And that's when frameworks like Jobs to be Done are very handy, but they can only go so far if you don't apply them right. So if you do data-driven analyses, you're not gonna to go too far because the results that you get, they're gonna seem like they're results, but they're really hypotheses. And so when you go to the market with something that's come out of a job to be done exercise, you go, well, what, where do we screw up? Why, are, why isn't this working? So there's, I think, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there of these methodologies and how they can be applied to solve your specific problem. And I think what I've been able to do is understand the nature of different kinds of problems and kind of create this like amalgamation of methodologies that really tends to work more often than not. Mm, you mentioned jobs be done. Yeah, we had Tony Elwick on the show. Awesome. But would you recommend learning all these different frameworks as a toolkit and then kind of learning and playing around with that? Is that what you're advocating or just looking at it in a different way? Yeah, I mean, so if you want to own that part, you certainly should learn as many of them as you can. I mean, after a certain point, there's a lot of diminishing returns. You don't want to learn every single methodology that's out there. But one of the things that I'm doing is actually trying to simplify that. So I'm working on a, on a book right now that would hopefully distill all those learnings into one kind of framework and kind of take it from like an if this, then that type of approach, where if you're solving a problem that's a product problem, you do this. If you have a new, you know, if it's a startup or a new product category that you're making, do this. So that's kind of, I think, the, maybe the easiest, maybe a shortcut way of doing it. Yeah, no, I like that. 
And when you're creating this book, will it will it sort of address? Because one of the things I notice is for larger organizations, there's quite a bit of resources around how to manage products and innovations through different methodologies, right? Gated yeah. processes and stuff like that. But I find that you know small but operating businesses that are slightly past the startup phase before they become sort of mid-sized companies. Mm. You know, my ask would be, and, and maybe it's out there, but my ask would be, is there a lightweight version with some light guidance on cadence, meeting cadence and, and some practices that, that could sort of help those companies along? Because I'm not aware of anything that, that does that. That's interesting. I'm going to take a note of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's interesting i haven't worked with a whole lot of uh mid-sized companies so i'm I'm a little i'm in uncharted territory for myself but i could see that happen i mean so i grew up in a family where my dad always had his own businesses yeah and so he i think got to those stages after startup and kind of established before just before getting really big so i saw that kind of firsthand but i wasn't really involved with kind of his issues and kind of where he was. I think one of the the things that I tend to preach, if you will, is designing your company for flexibility. I think if your goal is to exit or if you if your goal is not necessarily to have your company last a long time, then that's a different approach. But if if you want your company to last a really long time, then you really want to start working on obsoleting what's making you successful as fast as possible. So whenever you're able to devote any resources, and you never have time, even large companies feel like they've got to do what works. I mean, Kodax is a really good example, right? Like they get kind of, they're kind of the poster child of not seeing that whole digital innovation coming. But I mean, if you think about it from their leadership's perspective, they just were kind of not, they were kind of uncomfortable with changing the status quo. What they were doing was still working. Why would they change what was you know, not broken yet. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that problems from different angles and I know leadership at Kodak, I think they saw it. I think they didn't have the stomach to get rid of that amount of people and do it. I saw Netflix do it, Yeah. but uh, I would hate to, to see if I could do it, putting myself in that situation. Yeah. But as far as I know, they had the technology in place since the seventies. And I'm aware of the fact that they knew stuff like that was coming. Mm-hmm. But uh, that would be a crazy amount of bravery to to pull the trigger on uh, making that switch. That's exactly right. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it takes a it takes a lot of yeah it it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of wherewithal to do something like that. Yeah, because you're gonna it's gonna be hard for a period of time, right? As soon as you devote some resources away from what's working, yeah, it's gonna take away, and that's that's what when I talk to other companies, that's kind of the challenge. There are different kinds of innovations that you can kind of partake in, right? There's kind of really basic research you could do. There's disruptive innovation. There's breakthrough innovation. There are all these different types of innovation that you could kind of invest in, depending on your outlook for the company and your goals and things like that. But it's really understanding where you fit in that spectrum, where you are now, what's going to come eat you. And if you're aware of those things, you're more likely to do something about it. But if you think uh, no one can touch us, we're at the top of the mountain, you're likely blind. You've got blind spots. Sure, absolutely. Big companies and every company has blind spots. Okay, so you're developing this this great thing. That's fantastic. If you had to recommend one book for someone that hasn't 
been exposed too much for to on the innovation side, what would be your recommendation? That's a tough one. I think the first one that comes to my mind is mapping innovation. Really? But, okay. Yeah, Greg Sattel. It's a very high level book, but it's got a ton of examples of just innovations and uh, types of innovations. And it's a nice, nice way of looking at different ways of impacting your efforts with innovation. I think that book did a lot for me. I read it a while ago, I think when it was first published and I didn't really, like a lot of it didn't land until maybe a couple of years ago when I reread it. I was like, oh yeah, of course. Okay, yeah, for sure. Okay, so you have this book. What else is there? Is there anything else you want to share with the listeners? I think one of the things that I've, that I've learned over, I guess, the last few years of doing this is if, you're, if you are passionate about something, if you like, believe in something, I really think you should just do it. One of the things that I struggle with often is analysis paralysis. Like uh, I could plan this, I could do that, I could. And I kind of had that with the nine month phase with innovation accelerators. Like uh, if, we just, if we just thought this through, I'm sure it'll be perfect. But at some point, you just have to kind of work on something. You just have to get out there. And, and those learnings with first-hand experiences is very different than theoretical learnings. So it's the same thing if you're a startup founder, if you're trying to build a prototype, just build something that you can get back on and just go for it. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much. I definitely learned a, a few new things. That's awesome. And I appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge. Thank you, Tad. Thanks for having me. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.